Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Online, but today I want to talk um, really about the, the proximity, the power of proximity. Uh, your proximity to Christ will determine your ability to hear from Him. So as we've been talking about hearing from God, you need to understand that I'm coming from a place of close proximity. Uh, I'm coming from a place of not just checking in on God every Sunday, stopping by the church to make sure He's still around, rapture hasn't happened yet. I'm talking about proximity, closeness to God. And this is the way uh, to begin to hear from him. And, and I, I think this story is pretty, uh, the story in scripture can really illustrate that. Found in Mark chapter 4. If you have a Bible, check it out. If not, we have it on the screen. Mark chapter 4 verse 35 says, On the same day, um, when Jesus was finished teaching, this, that's the day he's talking about. On the same day, when evening had come, um, he said to his disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was and other little boats i'm gonna get back to that that's interesting other little boats were also with him and while they're on the water a great windstorm arose and the waves began to beat into the boat so that it was already filling but but he jesus was in the stern that's the back was in the stern asleep on a pillow so they awoke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. I love how he speaks to our problems. He doesn't bring more problems. He doesn't bring more anger or more angst. He says, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But, the word but would signify it's a bit of a change. Now he's spoken to the problem. He's spoken to the storm. But now he turns to his disciples. And he says, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? positive encouraging Jesus at his finest on point ready to bring encouragement and affirmation into your life (laughs) and they feared this is ironic to me and they feared exceedingly and said to one another who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him I find it interesting that they went into the storm and initially they were so terrified so afraid of the storm uh, that they called out to Jesus and they said they were dying their fear of the storm though was soon replaced with another fear at the end of the story they're not afraid of the storm they're exceedingly afraid of Jesus it's almost like I think I think that's part of the process I heard one preacher say that that's what God wants to do God wants to God wants to take you from being so afraid of the storm to actually having within you the fear of the Lord, that you are more afraid of living a single day without Jesus than you are of any particular storm that you would face. The the key, though, is knowledge. See, they didn't know who Jesus was. They knew about the storm because they had grown up in that that environment. This is the Sea of Galilee. Um, It's basically like a big bowl. Um, It's it's a round-shaped Um, lake. I mean, they call it a sea. I would call it a lake. Uh, It's it's surrounded by a mountainous region, and there's only one way in. It's the way that the water flows to the Sea of Galilee. It comes in through the, I think it's called the Kidron Valley, 
And uh, so you have these mountains all the way around in this circular lake that you can see to the other side. It's, it's a pretty big-sized lake, but you can see a few miles across. And, 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 but what, what would happen is the wind would build up steam coming through that valley and rushing into this big bowl and would just hit the Sea of Galilee quickly and suddenly, and there would be massive storms like the one here in this story. This was not an attack of Satan. This was not supernatural. This was very normal um, for these guys who, who lived in this region, and, and Peter, James, and John were fishermen themselves, so they were, they were used to being on the Sea of Galilee at night fishing. So they knew about the danger. They were aware that, that suddenly these storms would rise up, and, and the wind would just stir up the water, and it was like a big cyclone, you know, and just massive storms would hit um, out of nowhere with no warning. And they, were, they had been in these situations before. They had learned to be afraid of the storm. But they had never learned to have fear of the Lord. And so much of your experiences in your life has taught you to fear the storm, has taught you the dangers of the storm, has taught you the, the perils of, of the storm that you're facing right now. But the truth is, God wants to reveal a new revelation to you that, that beyond the storm, there is somebody greater in your boat than the storm. That somebody is, is stronger than the storm, and He's the one who ought to command your respect, who ought to command your attention, who ought to command your fear even. You ought to be more afraid of living without Christ, living a day without Christ, than about any particular storm. The proximity to Jesus, which this, this kind of brings me back to that passage um, when we, at the beginning of the story, when Jesus got in the boat, it says that there were other little boats along with them. In verse 36, there were other little boats along with him. Now, Jesus had been teaching all day, and he got in the boat with his disciples, and he said, we're going to cross over to the other side. And apparently a bunch of other people said, man, we want to go with him to see what miracles he's going to do, to see what teaching he's going to give. And so they all get in their boats, a bunch of little boats, and they're like, we're going to follow Jesus. This is interesting, though, because this is the only time that you read about these little boats. <laughs> uh, most scholars find it peculiar because Mark mentions this, that there were these other little boats along with him. But after the storm, there are no other little boats along with him. They arrive the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus heals a demoniac, and then he gets back in a boat, and he goes to this other part of Galilee, the sea. And, and he's going back and forth, and there are no other boats, which tells me a couple things. Number one, it lets me know that those who start off with you don't always stay with you. Sometimes the storm weeds some people out. Difficulty has a really good way of kind of deleting um, people that weren't really, that, that were with you, but you weren't necessarily with them. It's good to be with Jesus, but what's more important is which boat is Jesus in? Because the boat that Jesus was in was the boat that made it through the storm, which goes beyond just people being with you. It goes to who is in your boat, because depending on who is in your boat will depend on how well your boat will float. That rhymes. Give me a dime. The, the float and the boat, it's all, it's, all, it's all in it. It's all in the game. It, it, but, but it's very important because those other little boats, like, like they, wanted, they wanted to follow Jesus from a safe distance. They didn't want him in the boat. No, I got my boat, Jesus. You got yours. I'm, we're just going to get a visual on him, right? We're going we're gonna to show up once a month at church, make sure he's still around. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna come on Sunday and pray a little bit just to make sure I'm still good and, and he's fine, like visiting a friend in jail, you know? How are you, Lord? Are they treating you good in here? I think that's what Keith Green said one time. He says, people come to church like they're visiting a friend in jail. You know, we're, 
we're trying to get you out, Lord. We're doing the best we can. Uh, I hope the, hope the AC is good here for you. You know, it's like we come visit. We come, we come check him out. We, we, we like him in his boat and us in our boat. But then that's fine when the seas are calm. That's fine when the kids are somewhat normal. That's fine when the marriage is relatively decent. That's fine when there's money in the bank. But when you hit a storm, when, when a storm hits you, when something just comes out of nowhere and blindsides you, and you're not going to make it. Not going to make it. Because you're not, because the visual goes away. When the storm, when the waters rise and it gets dark outside and there's all, the, all there are these massive waves crashing, the visual, you can't see him anymore. And you come to church and you're like, I just don't feel him anymore. And you just don't, because you can't see him. Because you were with him, but he was never with you. And this is the key to hearing from God, is making sure that God is with you, that God is in your boat. And the wonderful thing about Jesus is he can be in all of our boats at the same time. He doesn't have to hop around from different boats. He's not just in the preacher's boat. He's not just in the priest's boat. And you, you, you follow a preacher, or you follow a priest, or you follow an organization or a religion. No, he can be in your boat, in your life, in your daily life, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He wants to be in your boat. And this is how you hear from God, when you allow him, when you invite him into your boat. And it says that they took him as he was. By the way, that's the only way that he will get in your boat, exactly as he is. Exact, he, won't, he won't adjust to your um, uh, political leanings. He won't be sensitive to your delicate personality. He, he, he will come as he is. He happens to believe that he's sovereign. I don't know where he got that idea, but he, somewhere along the way, maybe it was before we were all existed and he was sitting around by himself and just decided to create everything, but somewhere along the way, he came across the idea that he was in charge. He was sovereign. He was worthy of all worship, all submission, all glory. He thinks everything belongs to him and that everything came from him and everything's going back to him. And that's, that's, that, that's his thing. And if you don't like it, well, that's unfortunate for you. Go ahead, get in your boat, go for the storm. Good luck. You know, we'll, we'll send a rescue party out to help you while you're floating on the wreckage of what hit you. Because, because the voice that calms the storm, that is powerful enough to calm the storm, you have to accept that voice exactly as it is. You have to invite him into your boat exactly as he is. And we find that, they, that he sat on the stern. The stern is the seat, is the chair, if you will, um, in the boat. Now, in, in order for me to really teach this, you have to get a visual um, of what kind of boat this is. This is not a yacht. This is not, this is not even like a medieval boat. This is a Roman, ancient Roman, um, like soldier type fishing boat. And I know you've seen lots of drawings and stuff, but um, it's interesting. A while back, just a few years back, they found um, the remains of a 2,000-year-old boat from the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. They excavated it. They pulled it up. They put it all together, and they have it in the museum. They call it the Jesus Boat. You should Google it sometime. It's really interesting. From the exact same time as when Jesus was living, they believe this is the similar kind of boat that Jesus would have been traveling around in. And it's really more of a, of a canoe. It's what we would call a canoe. It's about, it's about this tall. Um, it's a little bit shorter than a canoe, but a bit wider. So the, the, the girth is just a little bit wider, but it's no bigger than a canoe, which is why when the Bible says that water was, it was already filling, water was getting in. If you're in a canoe, that's a bad thing. 
Like, I don't know if you've been out canoeing or kayaking. I mean, it doesn't take a lot, you know? Like, it, it's, we're not talking like, like one of those big boats that has multiple levels. And, and No, this is not a pirate ship. This is, this is a canoe. And water's getting in. You've got about five minutes before this thing is sinking, before it's going down. So this is, this is the way that it worked, though. They, they would have a canoe, and, and, and in the back of the, of the boat or of the canoe, there was like a little bench, like a seat. And that's where the captain would sit. And that's where Jesus was sitting. When you take Jesus as he is, he comes in, he'll either sit in the driver's seat or he won't get in the car. I know you thought he was in there, but check the back seat. <laughs> Have you looked in the trunk lately? He's not there. Like if he's not in the driver's seat, if he's not calling the shots, if he's not in charge, he says, that, that's okay. I'll wait until you're ready for me to sit in the driver's seat of your life. And this is how we have to take him. We take him as he is. But let me tell you, man, it, nothing can be more important to your life than to have Jesus in your boat. I don't even know how to communicate just the depth, uh, the significance of the importance of Jesus being in your boat, in your family, in your life, in your home. I, I, I have no other secret to success. I have no secret for, for the life that I've lived other than the fact that Jesus has just been in my boat. He's been in my boat since I was seven years old. And, you know, occasionally I tried to take the, the seat and have him row for me for a while, you know. Um, but, but, but most of the time, I mean, those were all, every time that I kicked him out of my boat were times of distress, were times of depression, were times of darkness in my life. Every time, I'm telling you, when G, every time Jesus has been at the stern of my boat, he has saved me, not just, not, just, not just like after the wreckage, but before the wreckage. Like when Jesus is in your boat before the storm, when the storm hits you, then rescue parties don't have to find you in the wreckage. You don't have to go through years of counseling because of your bitterness. You don't have to go through years of therapy because of the addictions that you developed to deal with the way that you were so blindsided. Like, like sometimes God, when God's in your boat, he saves you not just, not just from stuff that has happened, but he saves you in stuff that is currently about to happen or is currently happening. He, it's not like you don't go through stuff, but you actually go through stuff. Like you don't like, see the other little boats didn't go through anything. They went to something and then they stopped. Jesus, when Jesus is in your boat, you actually go through it. You survive to tell the story. You go into it and you come out the other side without a thousand yards of bandages and gauze around your broken heart. Because the storm is submitted to the voice of God. And when Jesus is in your life, he speaks to the storm and he says, peace, be still. And so many times Jesus has spoken to the storm in me and the storm around me and the storm that I am in and going through. And he has brought me through. He has saved me. So many, there have been so many times that his voice has has so comforted me and so helped me and so encouraged me and so kept me going kept me from suicide, kept me from depression, kept me from running away, kept me from doing all kinds of nonsense. He, like, it's his voice. I have no other secret for you, no other, no other special 
12-step plan to freedom. or No, it's, it is the presence of Jesus. When he is near, the nearness of Christ is the most important thing. This is a saying I've, I've just started saying in my head, and it's not catchy. I haven't developed it for a sermon. It just, I started telling myself this about five months ago because I began, something began to dawn on me, and it is that the presence of God makes all of the difference. And that's just what I say to myself. The presence of God makes all the difference. The presence of God makes all the difference. And you say, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's true for, for a pastor. Obviously, I'm in charge of a church. But you would be surprised at, at, at how, how tempting it is to settle for good church. And I do mean settle. I mean, like, it's to settle for good church rather than to pursue the presence of God. You would be surprised in how tempting and financially appealing it is to settle for good church than to pursue the presence of God in church. This is the one place where God's supposed to show up. It's amazing how the structures we've created and the panels and boards that we've built and, and the measurements and the, and the statistics and, and all of that can crowd out the simple presence of God. And so about five months ago, we decided, I decided that we were going to have prayer before church at nine o'clock. Why? Because the presence of God makes all the difference. Now at nine o'clock, we're not often set up. We're a mobile church. And so there have been times when I'm like going to plug in a speaker and oh, it's nine o'clock. And so I take the cord and put it on the ground because the presence of God makes all the difference. And I appreciate everybody who comes early and works their tail off. And I work my tail off right along with you. I drive the church trailer here for crying out loud. Like, I obviously believe in a spirit of excellence, but I do not believe, I don't think it's a fair trade to trade the spirit of God for the spirit of excellence. I, I, nobody's ever been saved because, because of a polished sermon. Nobody, no chains have ever fallen because somebody hit the right chord at the right time. At some point, the presence of God makes all of the difference. It makes, it makes up for all kinds of stuff. And I don't mean that we should throw all that aside. I mean, we obviously try to get the beat right and get the chords right and all that kind of thing. It's important to us. But what's more important is the presence of God. And the presence of God is not, he's not, he's not, he's not blown away by good music. He's not blown away by great preaching. I can get all my rhyming together that I want. And he's not impressed with that. Hell doesn't shake when past preachers have great jokes and rhymes and everything is polished and perfected. Hell is not concerned concerned and not scared about a church that is, that, is, that is operating and functioning correctly. Hell is trembling of a church that carries the presence of God. At some point, I don't care how talented you are, what do you carry? What's in your boat? Because it's easy to get up and sing a song. It's easy to get up and preach. I can preach a good message and live an awful life. Because I'm a pretty good communicator and I can fake it. And there's sermons on YouTube I can copy. There's actual books of sermons with entire outlines I can purchase. Some of you didn't know that. And I can just preach, like, for the next 30 years, other people's sermons and pretend like it's my own. Just rip it off. You guys wouldn't even know because you don't listen to stuff like that. <laughs> but, but, but here's the deal. When that happens, Austin stays the same. Yeah, but, yeah, but... Yeah, but I argued with them on Facebook. I told them about Jesus. 
I yelled at them about their sin and I told them they were wrong. And, you know, I don't understand how they could say this, stay the same when I clearly presented this logical argument. No, they stay the same because they have not yet seen Jesus in somebody else's boat. They have heard really good arguments. They have seen polished church, but much of Austin stays the same because they have not seen Jesus in somebody else's boat. We need less yelling, less talking, less debating, more living and loving with Jesus in the boat. That will change things. It's his presence that makes all of the difference. And when you realize that his presence makes all of the difference in church, what that does for me as a pastor is I prioritize his presence and I say, you know what, we're going to have his presence. If we don't have that, that's okay as long as we have his presence. And that's true in church. But in your life, when you realize his presence makes all the difference in your marriage, I mean, it makes all the difference in your marriage. You're going to say, you know what? Okay, we could spend time going to this party or we could spend time talking about how we feel about God and reading the Bible together. That doesn't sound like fun. No, but his presence makes all the difference. Look, whatever habits you have to lay down to maintain his presence in your life, trust me, it'll be worth it to lay those habits down. Whatever Uh, entertainment you have to give up in order to prioritize. And I'm not saying God doesn't want you to have fun, but whatever thing is drawing you away from his presence, whatever you have to say goodbye to in order to say hello to the the Holy Spirit every morning, trust me, it's worth it. Friendship with the Holy Spirit, closeness, nearness to God makes all of the difference. Everything you want out of life is found in the presence of God. Because on the flip side, you can get all of that stuff and still kill yourself. All the traveling, all the presidential visits, and still not find meaning. It's not what you have, it's the meaning you find in it. And his presence is what brings the perspective to find elaborate meaning, deep meaning, great meaning in your current situation. His presence just makes, if you could begin to understand how important it is for Jesus to be in your boat, you would, you would sacrifice, you would give up these other things because it is such a ripoff. You're getting, you're getting robbed right now. You're just like, you're, you're getting taken for a ride, man. You're getting so ripped off when you, when you trade out his presence for this temporary enjoyment, temporary fix. We've got to have Jesus in the boat. And when he comes in the boat, he begins talking. And this is what he does. He says stuff. This is how you hear from God. First, get him in the boat. And then let him talk. He says, let us go over to the other side. And this is a natural uh, idea. I mean, it's cool. Jesus, great. You sit there, man. We're going to sit here and we're going to row. We're going to get us to the other side. Sometimes Jesus will speak stuff to you, and it doesn't seem that profound. It doesn't seem that amazing. Because, well, in the moment, it's not. He just is giving you direction. We're going to go to the other side. But see, he knew what they didn't know. He knew that somewhere between where they were and where they were going, they were going to meet conflict. And see, God, when, when he, this is what I mean by God has saved me from so much junk. Because he's spoken to me in the calm words that I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then I get in the storm and I'm like, oh my goodness. Did Jesus say we were going to sink in the middle or <laughs> what exactly did he say? He said, let us go over to the other side. 
This is why when Jesus woke them up, he said they didn't have any faith. Because faith is remembering what Jesus said in the calm, even when the circumstances have changed, and it doesn't seem like it's that easy anymore. Faith is not demanding proof. Faith doesn't demand that God prove himself. Faith doesn't demand that God come down and show how good he is right now. No, faith takes his word for it. He said we're going over, therefore we're not going under. He speaks to us in the calm to prepare us for the storm, and he saves us from so much mess. I was talking to uh, somebody yesterday and talking about the church that I grew up in. Uh, Ashley was also a part of this church. I, I helped start the church, my family and I, and one other, two other families. Uh, I was uh, 10 years old, I think, when we started, and it was a, a, an amazing experience for me. Uh, very deep experience. I mean, I, I was there for 13 years until I was 23. And um, when I was 23, I've shared with you all before that there was some church drama, I guess is a good way to put it. Um, and, and essentially, we, we kind of needed to leave. Our family needed to leave. Any of you that have grown up in church or been around church, you know that sometimes that happens. And um, it was interesting because it was the, it was the complete uh, blindside of me. It was a storm that just came up out of nowhere. I had no idea because we were so close to a small church, about 30 people. Um, we were so close to everybody. We were just buddy-buddy. We were friends and for long periods of time. And um, I, was, I was really involved. I, I was leading the Sunday night prayer meeting. And so um, I was going away for the summer for six weeks to do an internship program. And so um, uh, we had prayer that night, and I was going to leave the next day. And so I said, hey, can you guys get up and pray for me and just bless me? And so they all prayed for me. It was awesome experience. We were hanging out after church, you know, because that's what Christians do is talk outside. It was spring. And um, I had the keys to the building, so everybody was leaving. So I went in to lock up. And um, so you don't know this about me, but I used to have a tambourine at church. And uh, Ashley can attest to this. I used to have a tambourine. I kept it tucked under my pew. And I thought, man, I don't want to be a slob. I don't want to leave it there. So I'll go pick it up. So I went and got it. And I was like, you know, I'll stick it under Ashley's pew um, so she can be the, the, the charismatic crazy with the, with, with, the, with the tambourine while I'm gone. So I slid that under her pew. Then I went to the back. I'm flipping off the lights. And I, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to my heart and say, take a good look around. And I was like, go, all right. So I'm looking around. I mean, I've seen this place a lot a million times. I've cleaned it a million times. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm just looking around, and I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, because you're not going to be back here for a long time. And I remember thinking, it's six weeks, you know? I mean, it's not, it's not that long. It's six weeks. I'm going to West Virginia for six weeks. I'm, then I'm going to come back, and, you know, so I'm just, and, and then the same voice said, or around 10 years. And I had I was like, I, I thought, I kind of thought maybe it was just me. It was just, I'm, be, I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm going to miss my friends. And so I just, I just threw it in the back of my head and just went on with my day. I locked up. I went to West Virginia. Um, while I was there, my parents called me emotionally telling me about uh, the confrontation that had happened. And I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. I said, no way. So when I got home, my brother and I went and met with the pastor and his wife. And we were trying to work it out, but it became really clear that we were not supposed to be there um, at that church. And I went back, back to Bible college because the fall was starting up Bible college again. And I was back at Bible college and I was in my dorm just praying, just saying, God, what in the world? Like, what is, like, that was my plan. I was supposed to be, you know, I was supposed to go to Bible college and then come back and be on staff at that church. And like, this was, this was my plan. I wanted to be there. And, and God said, well, I told you what was going to happen. 
before it did. And that's when I remembered the, just the little thing in my heart when I was turning off the lights. And I, it's, it's hard to explain. It's impossible to explain. The, the amount of peace that just flooded my heart when I remembered the word that God had given me. It's impossible to explain the amount of forgiveness that flooded my heart for those pastors. Because when you realize that what they did to you was what God wanted for you, when you, like, how can you be upset at somebody who pushed you into the place that God wanted you to be? Like he said, you're not going to be back for a long time. And I sure as anything wasn't about to leave. There's no way I'm going to walk out. How can, suddenly, just this perspective just came over me. And, and man, those pastors, they were doing what they thought was right. They were doing the best that they could do what they thought was right. How in the world could I be upset at them for them doing what God wanted done in my life. And I didn't have the courage to do it. <laughs> they helped me. And so it's just, when God speaks to you in the calm, it, it is so that when you are in the middle of the storm, you can look back and say, hold on a second. Jesus knew this was coming. And Jesus is okay with this. But, but if I, if he, if, if I didn't have Jesus in my boat before the storm, and if he hadn't been able to talk to me before the storm, he would have been, people would have been counseling me for years after the storm, trying to get me to let go of the hurt that I would have got from the storm. Can you believe those people after all I did for them? Can you believe what they said to me? Can you believe, all that stuff would have, would have like, like, like nails just tearing me up. But it, it just washed away. It just, it was just, it was just easy. It was easy. It was like Jesus just said, peace, be still. Boom, done. Taken care of. On to the next thing. Okay, God, where do you want me to go then? I guess I'm not going there. What am I doing? But, but God has saved me. It's not because I'm superhuman. It's not because I'm, I'm really spiritual. It's just because Jesus was in my boat. It's just because he was there and he, and he talks and he says stuff. And, and he said, you're not going to be back for a long time. And it was amazing. It was, it was like almost exactly 10 years later that I was in Michigan. Uh, I had never been back to that church. I, I did stay connected with the pastor. We go over to his house because there was literally nothing there between. I had nothing against him. And so we'd hang out, we'd talk. I was, I was encouraged by what he was doing, yada, yada, yada. And so I was in, I was in Michigan um, uh, on a Saturday night at like 1030. My phone rings and it's, and it's the pastor from the church. And he says, Harry, would you like to come preach? At, 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 at our church tomorrow. And I was like, sure, that would be awesome. So, so I, 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 I get a couple thoughts together and, and, and it was awesome. I, I, stood, I stood there before, I think it was like 13 people that were there, all same people that, that I had known and loved. And, and they just received me, welcomed me. They even took up an offering for me and gave me money, you know. And, and I could, honestly, I could stand up and share about how God had to kick me out of here. God had to get me out of Port Huron so that I would go to Texas. Because I wasn't going to Texas. It's hot. They're fire ants. And Texans are always talking about how great Texas is. It's annoying. You know what I'm saying? I'm just going to say, I don't know why Ford has to make a Texas edition. We don't have a Michigan edition. 
It's called marketing. It's they're marketing. They're playing you up. They're <laughs> they're playing you. Anyway, I don't want to go to tech, but but God God like got me out of where I was, and 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 here I am, and I'm so happy that I'm here. If I have to be in Texas, at least I'm in Austin. You know what I'm saying? And 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 as I got to stand in front of those people and share that. And it was awesome. And then I think it was two weeks later, they closed their doors and shut down. And the pastor moved to another state. It just wasn't, it wasn't uh, viable, I guess. It wasn't working for him. And, and I was so saddened by that, personally. Now, you know, if I would have been bitter, I would have been happy about that. But I was so saddened by that. I made a website called becauseyougave.com, I think, and I uploaded videos of testimonies of how it impacted, how that church impacted my life. And um, there's just so much health there when Jesus is in your boat. When he says stuff to you in the calm, and then it reveals in the storm, and you can hold on to what he said. And you can say, this is part of his plan. Okay, he said we're going over. He said, he said we're going to make it. He spoke, he spoke, spoke to me. And, 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 and initially, I wanted to look at the four things Jesus said, because he really makes four statements, but um, I'm preaching way too long just on, the, just on the first one. So I'm just going to do two statements. Maybe next week I'll do the other two. Uh, that's the problem with over-preparing. Um, you just, you preach forever. But um, the second thing Jesus said is not so much a sentence as it is a statement that he made from his place, from his seat. Um, the Bible says that he laid down on a pillow. That's not really a pillow. It's a, it means a bench. It means a, a stool. Um, and, it's, and it is where he sat on uh, the, the, the stern. But in order to get this, you really need to get a visual of, of, of how this worked. You had um, this canoe, right? And the, 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 the commander would sit in the back. And so if you are on the boat, they, he would have had 12 disciples, six on one side, six on the other. Um, they would each be squatted down, usually, or sitting on the rear, like with their legs up. And they would have, they would have oars. And you always sit backwards, so you face the back. That's what you do with these, because these, these, you have to watch the commander, because the commander's up here, and he's, going, he, he's, he's directing where you're going to go. So he says, left, 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 right, right, left, right, left, unison. You know, he's, he's, he, he's, he's navigating the boat. Which, 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 which that alone is a pretty good, I think I could probably preach from that right there, you know, because you, you always get in trouble when you start standing up trying to figure out where you're going, you know. Um, so, so, yeah, you, you, well, you, 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 you cannot direct your life and power your life at the same time. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. So maybe the title of that sermon would be sit down and shut up um, because sometimes that's the best thing for you to do because this is what you had, they had to do. They had to turn their back to where they were going. They had to turn around. You cannot keep, get, keep focused on your five-year plan and hear from God at the same time. It's not going to work. You're either facing God in the back of your boat or you're facing your future trying to figure it all out. And so sometimes you just have to turn around from your future and what you, the way you thought it was going to work out and you have to focus on God. And you sit there and you get to direction from him. Now what, now what we often do though, is we want the direction. So we put the oar down and we sit in the commanding chair so that we can see where we're going. But when you're like this, you, you're not going anywhere. You have no power. You have no oars. You're, you're wishing, you're hoping, you're like, yeah, we're going to go that way. And then the wind kind of takes you this way. 
You're pushed about every little storm, every little, you don't, you don't make decisions, decisions make you. They happen to you in this scenario. You have no power, you have no, no force, you have no drive to move forward because you're too busy navigating the, the shoreline and trying to figure out where you're going. And so when God comes into your life, he sits on the commanding chair so that you can sit here and start moving forward. And that's great while you're single, but man, it gets tough whenever you bring a spouse into the boat. And so in the, in the earlier service, Roe was here. And of course her name is Roe, so that's convenient. But um, so, you know, whenever you have a spouse with you, rowing along with you, um, it, 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 it becomes a, a bit tricky because then it's a fight for who gets to sit in the captain chair. Since I'm the man, and we're in Texas, I ought to be up here. You know what I'm saying? I got my big belt buckle, and, uh, uh, and, and she's going to do all the cooking. She's going to do all the cleaning. She's going to take care of the kids. She's going she's gonna to row this. Row is going to row the boat. Row, row, row your boat. And she's going to row it, and we're going to move forward, and I'm going to give direction. And it's great. And that's really great until she gets tired of doing all the work, pushing the relationship pushing the, 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 the visions, making stuff happen, making the dreams happen until she gets tired of me sitting on the couch telling her where we're going. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, the, uh, the captain's chair, <laughs> where we're telling her where we're going. She gets tired of that because she's juggling all this stuff and she's doing all this work. And so she puts the oars down and starts arguing with me about who ought to get. So then she tries to get in the chair. And then, and, then, and, then, and then we're fighting for the chair. And so many marriages, it's just two people fighting for who's going to make the decisions, who's going to call the shots, who's going to be in charge. And, and then there are some more healthy marriages where the guy comes down with her and sits down there and, and she rows on one side and I row on this side. Well the, 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 well, the problem is then we're kind of looking at each other, trying to make sure that we're in sync. And since I'm stronger, I'm going to be able to row a little bit faster. And if she just pick up her pace a little bit, then we wouldn't be going around in a circle because I'm overpowering everything. Or maybe she's overpowering everything because she's opinionated and telling me what to do. And then we get going this way and I, and, 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 and I don't like to stand up to her. And so we get going this way, and, 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 and you have this constant circling and frustration, and now I'm mad at her because I was going somewhere before I married her, and now I'm stuck in this pattern, and she's mad at me because she was going somewhere before she married me, and now we're stuck in this pattern. And neither one, no marriage was intended to be two people. Every marriage was intended to be three. You, your spouse, and Jesus. A three-strand cord is not easily broken. You have to have... Every marriage needs Jesus at the captain's chair. Because then, because, because if you're sitting here and you're sitting next to her, you're going to try to tell her what to do. And she's going to try to tell you what to do. The problem is you're not her dad and she's not your mom. <laughs> FYI. <laughs> it's not supposed to work like that, all right? Mom has a place, not in your bedroom. She's not your mom. You're not her dad. But when you're trying to, to instruct each other, what, what, what God wants to do is he wants you to look to him. So if you have a problem with them, you can talk to him about your problem with them. And, he, and, and usually when you talk to him about your problem with them, he tells you about his problem with you. And this is how things get done. Because he works with you on you. And then he works with her on her. And I'm working on me with Jesus. And 
Roe is working on her with Jesus, and Jesus is directing both of us. I remember I told him myself in the early service, but one time there was there was a time when Roe was waking up early and it was frustrating because she her brain just kind of keeps going and so she's waking up like 4 30 5 o'clock in the morning and not able to get to sleep and and so a lot of times at night I would pray over her and just pray that she'd be able to sleep longer and 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 she would she'd sleep till like 7 30 and um which is long for her um and uh but you know and so and so one so there was a time when when we were both kind of we were arguing about something well I was right she wasn't ready to accept how right I was that's kind of the way that it went. Um, and um, and she, she, she's not here. She was in the first service. So I, I, can, I can just say it, tell it like it is. And, you know, I was convinced I was right. I mean, I was so right. And, and, so, and so she asked me to pray for her. And I was like, okay. And so I put my hand. Instead of praying out loud, I prayed like in my mind. And, um, and I said, Lord, you know what? If, if I'm right could you just wake her up like extra early so that she has like three hours to think about how, you know how wrong she is and how right I am and and you know I mean just I'm, I'm this is for her benefit you know that she would come to conclusions that <laughs> I'm, I'm telling on myself because you guys need to know that I'm just like you I'm, I'm a preacher but I put my pants on the same way that you do I mean, mine are a little skinnier than yours, and sometimes there are holes in my foot goes through. But, you know, basically, we put them on about the same way. And, 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 and I am often convinced that I'm right. And I am often tempted to turn to the person next to me. I'm often tempted to turn to her and tell her how she can be better. Because I know how she can be better. And, and I've had to learn to talk to him. Because this doesn't work. And so I said, Lord, you know, if I'm right, would you wake her up like 4 a.m., like extra early? And, uh, and then she, you know, gets to think about this. And if I'm wrong, I mean, this is a possibility, slim chance, let her just sleep in and wake me up. So I have to think about it. And um, so sure enough, uh, the next morning I wake up and roll over and she's still sleeping in the bed. And I was like, all righty. Alrighty then. I hear you, Lord, loud and clear. And it's true because she was wrong a little bit, but I was wrong a little bit. And God was more concerned about my little bit of wrong than he was about helping me figure out her little bit of wrong. Because usually everybody's a little bit. And really what we're arguing is that my little bit is littler than your bit. And God said, no, your little bit is, is offensive to me. Your little, bit, your, your little bit stopping you from hearing from me. And by the way, nothing is, worth, nothing is worth losing the presence of God in your life. Every, you can win every argument. But if you lose the presence of God in your life, you've lost. Nothing in the presence of God is worth everything. So I said, God, teach me how to be right. Teach me how to think differently about this. Teach me how to get my little bit right. And then God spoke to her about her little bit. And, and it's amazing how when God's driving the boat, he directs us. He directs a marriage. He directs, uh, you know, and, and kids, man, kids come in. It gets even more complicated. They, kids kids want to sit on the director's chair. I don't know if you notice this or not, but a stinking two-year-old 
will try to direct like the whole show. I've never struggled with that. I'm like, no. We, we, we had you because we needed rowers. So, you know, you get out there, mow that lawn, vacuum that carpet. This ain't no free rent around here. I mean, you're going, we, we need some people to power this sucker, you know? Um, no, it's not, not entirely like that, but it's a little bit like, I mean, never let the kids drive. Never let the kids decide what church you're going to go to, what state you're going to live, which house you're going to buy. My goodness, if you're a house shopping, do not let the kids choose the house. They don't know nothing about budgets. They don't know nothing about what's in your bank account. They can't even comprehend that. You know, help them out a little bit. Like, show them what it's like to drive. Just, you know, we're going to get the house. You're going to love it. You're going to live in it. And you're going to help us vacuum and dust and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be great. And it's just lovely. And this is, but this, but, but every, it's a fight for, because honestly, I can't let my kids drive because Jesus is driving. So if my kids want to know why they can't call the shots, I'll say, well, it's because I'm not even calling the shots. God's calling the shots in our family. I'm not in charge here. I am not our main provider even. The weight of that's not on me. It's on the guy at the captain's chair. I don't even know where we're going. My back is turned to our future. I'm looking at him. And he's telling me to row harder right now. And so I'm doing it. Or he's telling me to back off right now. So I'm doing it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not the guy who's responsible for, for providing for my family. How can I do that? How, how can I weather this storm? How can I figure out the economics of, of my situation? I'm not that powerful, I'm not that wise. I, I'm looking at Jesus. I need him to, he is the provider of my family. I trust in him, I look at him and I, I row hard when he tells me to and we go for it, but, but he's the guy in charge here. And what's, what's really scary, though, is when he goes to sleep. Because <laughs> that's the final statement. I think probably the most misunderstood statement of heaven is silence. Atheists see silence and they think it's proof of non-existence. There's so much suffering in the world and God doesn't do anything, therefore he doesn't exist. Uh, but Christians see silence and they think it's proof of carelessness. As the disciples did. Don't you care? that we're perishing? Do you not care, I think is what, is what they said. They didn't say, do you care? They said, do you not care? In other words, they'd already decided that he didn't care. It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, Jesus, you don't care because you are sleeping. And which is worse, to have a God who doesn't exist or to have a God who doesn't care if you do? I don't know. But either way, it's the most misunderstood statement of heaven, silence. And I don't think Jesus was silent because he didn't care. I don't think Jesus is silent because he didn't exist. I think Jesus was silent. I think Jesus was sleeping. By the way, this is the only time in the Bible when the Bible tells us Jesus is sleeping. Obviously, he slept other times, but this is the only time that it's mentioned. And I think it's important, significant, that he's sleeping in the middle of a storm. He's hitting the snooze button on their alarming situation. And he's not doing it because he doesn't care. He's not doing it because it's not alarming. He's not doing it because he doesn't want to get up and solve it, because he does want to get up and solve it. He, he gets up and he solves it. And that's not the problem. He wants to deal with the storms in your life. He wants to solve the problems of your life. He wants to calm the sea of your life. He wants to rebuke the, the wind, the thing that's stirring it all up. He wants to do that. But he often sleeps for the same reason, for the same reason that he talks quietly. 
he, he whispers to us. It's like, you know, when he first sat down in the boat, he said, let's go to the other side. And that was loud. But when it got, when it, when it, when the storm got loud, Jesus got quiet. And this is what happens when the storms get loud in your life. When, when the circumstances get loud in your life, Jesus gets quieter. Why would he do that? Because he doesn't want you to hear him. That's why. No, just kidding. No, he gets quieter so that, look, this, this, this is such a powerful visual to me. You have guys in the boat rowing, rowing, rowing. They're working their tail off. They're going to make this thing happen. They're going to provide for their family. They're going to get an education. They're going to get, a, they're going to make this thing. They're going to sheer grit and will. They're going to press through the storm and they are going to survive. And they're so determined and they're going to make it happen. And then finally they get to the place where they say, you know what? We're going down. We are not going to make it happen. Number one, Jesus wants you to get to that place where you figure out you and your oar just ain't cutting it. This is not working. That's a good place to be. But then, now if Jesus was awake and he was sitting there, when they finally realized it wasn't working, they would have looked at him and said, what should we do? But he's not, he's not, he doesn't just want to give you instructions for life. He's not an instructor. He's not, uh, he's not an educator. He's not here to educate you and teach you life lessons. That's not what he's about. So, so if he would have been awake, they would have been looking to him for instruction. Instead, he's asleep. Because when someone's asleep, you have, to, you have to leave your oar and you have to go to the back of the boat. And you have to touch them on the shoulder or the head or the back or kick them like Roe does for me. I don't know. You have to make contact and you have to call their name, Jesus, 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 Jesus. You have to, like, this is what he, this is why he gets quiet in the storm, so that you will get closer in the storm. He's not interested in instructing you and make sure you make all the right choices and decisions in life. He gets quiet so that you'll get close. And when you get close, then he has intimacy with you. He has that closeness with you. He doesn't want to be just the guy upstairs directing things. He wants to be, he wants to be your personal God. He wants to be Jesus that you can touch. In, in times of difficulty, you have to reach out and touch heaven and shake it and call on the name. The only name that if, if, that if that name will rise up in your life, that name will speak to everything else and deal with everything else. You have to get to the place where it's Jesus alone, where it's Jesus that I need. It's Jesus that I have to have. It's Jesus that has to rise up. Jesus has to rise up in my life or my life is not going to work. I need Jesus. And so I need to make contact, connection with him. And I need to shake heaven. And I need to call on that name until that name rises up in my defense and does what only that name can do. Because I've done what I can do. I've, I've driven this boat as far as I can drive it, and it's filling up with water. It's not working. I gotta have Jesus. My marriage needs Jesus. My kids need Jesus. My culture needs Jesus. My job needs Jesus. My work, my education, my, my future. I cannot get, I cannot move another step 
without Jesus stepping up and doing something. He has got to speak to my situation. I've been doing a lot of talking to my situation, but he needs to say something because when he says something, stuff changes. When I say something, it's just complaining. But when he speaks to the storm and the wind, things change. They shift. I need Jesus. And so I need to touch him and shake him, if I will. I think that's what prayer is. It is, it is shaking the shoulders of heaven until heaven responds. It is calling on heaven until heaven gets up, until heaven rises. Now, God's never sleeping. He never actually slumbers or sleeps, but he fakes it sometimes, you know. He fakes it so that we'll get close and call on him. So we won't just look to him for instruction. So that we make all of the correct decisions, but know that we will desperately grab a hold of him. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would, that you would just bust through, that your quietness, that your gentleness, Lord, would be seen within our boat in the midst of our storm, that we would grab a hold of you today. Maybe you need heaven to rise up in your defense right now. Would you just raise your hand and say, I need, I, I need the word of God in my life. I need the, the source of strength and change and power. I need that. I need to touch heaven. I need for heaven to speak over my life. I gotta have God. I have to. That's awesome. Desperation, hands going up, reaching up to heaven, even literally right now. We're Lord, we are reaching to heaven. We are reaching to you. We are trying to make contact. We gotta have you, Lord. We are hungry for you. We need you. We need you to stand up in our boat. We've been standing enough. We are gonna sit down. We need you. All of our oars, all of our abilities, all of our strategies, all of our, all of our thinking, all of our Facebook posts that we've read, all of our Snapchat, Lord, all of our stuff has not been able to help us through this storm. We need God to speak. We don't need an opinion of another single person or a news broadcaster or a president. We need God to speak. We need to listen to the most powerful voice in the boat is often the most silent voice. And so we come to you, we lean into your whisper. We put our ear next to your head and we ask for you to speak to our storm, Lord. We need you to speak to us. We grab a hold of heaven. We grab a hold of heaven, not just in a church service, but Lord, tonight we're going to grab a hold of heaven. Tomorrow morning, we're going to grab a hold of heaven. When we wake up, we're going to, when we go to work, as we're driving to work, we're going to reach out to heaven and we're going to ask for your touch. We're going to ask for your voice. We're going to ask for your presence. We need you in our boat and we don't need you to be silent. We need you to be speaking. We need you to be active. We need you to be awake. Lord, forgive us for allowing you to sleep through things and believing we could handle it on our own as long as you were just sort of there and we checked in on you every now and then. No, we got to have the voice of God. We are not okay. We cannot deal with the storm on our own. We need you, Father. Rise up in our life. Rise. Let, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. His enemies inside of me be scattered. Let his enemies outside of me be scattered. Let his enemies in the city be scattered. Let doubt and fear be scattered. Let, let, let anguish and regret be scattered. Let, let torment and unforgiveness be scattered. Let anger and violence be scattered. Let the peace of God rule and reign in our heart. Sit at the captain's chair 
speak to our storms, speak to our hearts, speak to the wind that's causing all this. Rebuke the wind that's causing, that's stirring things up. Rebuke the, the, the source of the storm. And speak calm to our hearts, Lord. When, as the old hymn says, I need thee every hour. Not every week, every hour, not every day, every hour. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee every hour, O oh, stay thou nearby. Temptations lose their power when thou art nigh. It is the voice of God that, that creates holiness inside of us. It's the voice of God that creates righteousness inside of us. It's not our commitment. It's not our strength. It's not our ability to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. It's the voice of God. Temptation loses its power when you're close. We don't need to run from temptation as much as we need to run to you. We need you near us and you beat back our enemies. You push back our depression. You beat back our foes. I don't have to fight all this stuff. I don't have to struggle at these oars forever. I just have to wake you up. <laughs> Grab a hold of you and call on you. So we do that right now, Lord. For everyone that's hungry, Lord, that they would be filled. Everyone that's thirsty would be filled with your spirit. That you would show us the way in our own lives. That you would reveal to us the way. As we seek you and as we deny everything else, prioritizing you. In Jesus' name.